Yep, yep. This is May the Sit Star Wars edition of Mr. Ben's 80 Experience. Welcome to welcome. This is the thing I've been doing pretty consistently for the past two weeks. I'm glad to say that I made it all the way up to May the 6th. Now, this is a Star Wars holiday right after May the 4th. Everybody knows about May the 4th be with you, but on the 5th, we celebrate May the 6th. Some people say that you should be celebrating May the 6th on the 6th as opposed to the 5th, but I rock it on the 5th, especially this year because I'm not going to be here tomorrow. I'm not going to be recording. So thank you all for joining me. Thank you all for hanging around for these. And oh my God, one second. We got to get our audio straight. We don't get our audio straight. We're just going to be bums on the internet here. So bear with me one second while I do that. Right. We're good. We're good. So let's make this thing happen. I used to, I was one of the co-founders of the Pod Squadron podcast. Shout out to those guys. I, two seasons ago, I did the first season with Andy Lowe, that hot nerd girl, Tracy, and the feral geek, Lexi. They run an awesome podcast over there. Please go check it out. It's good stuff. Pod Squadron on Instagram. You should be able to find it. And on YouTube, obviously, a part of the Geekish Network. Shout out to those guys and what they do. But I am here solo today, rocking with May the Sith to talk anything about Star Wars. Any Star Wars talk you want to talk, let me know. Except Mandalorian Season 3. I have not seen that. In fact, let me put in a comment right here. Tell me your Star Wars. Talk to me about Star Wars. Because it's an interesting thing. We're going to get into some business of it. We're going to get into some story of it. Some some controversy, some controversy. And we'll go from there, all right? How about that? Talk to me about Star Wars. See, there's always this little awkward pause when you're typing in while you're doing something live. Talk to me about Star Wars. Boom, I'll post that up. All right, all right. All right, sorry about that little delay there. No, it's weird when you're just listening live or listening after the live goes on. Maybe I'll cut some of that out and shorten it up. But I might not because I don't always feel like doing post-processing. All right. Once again, everybody, thanks for joining us. Yeah, May the Sith. Star Wars is one of those classic properties that exist, and it's been going around for an amazing 40-plus years. And geez, it was 70, 77, 76, something like that. When Star Wars first came out, blew up the scene. Recently, I've been watching reaction videos of people checking out Star Wars for the first time. There are a lot of them, and you see the fan base still supports people who are checking it out for the first time. A lot of these reaction videos are really entertaining, really exciting. You get to see people's reaction to just the different characters, the way the story was laid out, the revelations in the story. If you, for whatever reason, haven't yet seen Star Wars, if you want and you want to do reaction videos, it's a really strong one to do a reaction video on. People will support you. People will back you. You'll get a couple, at least a couple hundred views just on a basic reaction video to Star Wars. So, I, in fact, I may have to go back and do my own commentary on Star Wars. If you guys are in that, I mean, like a whole commentary track, and I may just post that up online somewhere. So if you're into that sort of thing, let me know. 
obviously I've seen it. It won't be my first time seeing it, but I'll run some commentary on it, some interesting side bits, interesting perspectives, and a little historical angle from where I come from. All right. That's that. So today I want to just talk about some of the things that went on in Star Wars, some of the missteps I think they took. We can get into a little controversy there. I want to get into some of the social, spiritual side of it just a little bit. And most importantly, the creative side, because that's what we're about here at Mr. Ben's Day Duty Experience, the creative side of things. What they've created, how they built it, and where they're going from there. And I want to do my top rankings of Star Wars. There are, let's see, of the Star Wars films, I'm going to put, I'm going to put 10 of them out there, 11 of them out there. I call it my top 10 list, but it's 11, right? Because you have the nine major films and then you have Return of the, then you have Rogue One, and then you also have the Solo movie. And after that, things got really weird. So people just, people just stopped with it. But I'm going to keep on, I'm going to go with the 11 there and see what people have to say. And if you don't like the list, too bad because we're doing it. And if you also have a top list of Star Wars films, I'd like to know how you rank all of your Star Wars films. And let's not get too serious about this. I remember I was part of the, I was around during the great fan base wars of what was that, 2000, 2018, 2017. So we don't have to get into all of that. Shout out to Ryan Johnson and his film, but we don't have to get into that. We'll touch on it. We don't have to get into all of the bad vibes. All right, so Star Wars. Where do I even where do I even start with this, man? It's such a crazy franchise. Such a brand new concept that a lot of people still, I think, don't appreciate as much as it's changed the American landscape or the sci-fi landscape or the movie landscape. People don't give enough props to George Lucas for really putting together a visual package in ILM an audio package in Skywalker Sound, a groundbreaking way of doing merchandising. These are all things that were really pioneered by not only one company, but largely based on one franchise, and that was Lucasfilm. Because if you don't consider, right now we take a lot of the stuff that goes on in Star Wars for granted, but it was such a major change, a major switch up, that people just didn't know what to do. They lost their minds over it. If you go back and watch it now, even without the graphics, the visual updates and the audio updates that have taken place over time, which is another revelation, then you're missing out on a lot of what Star Wars is. I think at the time, you, you got to remember at the time, Star Wars was, sci-fi was a, it wasn't a thing in a major sense like it was before Star Wars. People were into war movies. What the heck is that noise outside? I'm going to have to go outside and tell people to... Whatever they're dragging across the street there. Bizarre. But at the time, as I was saying, at the time in the 70s, there were a lot of war films. People were... People had experienced the fantasy type of things. But it wasn't until Star Wars came along that that you got to see that fantasy, sci-fi, and I, I hesitate to categorize it at either fantasy or sci-fi because Star Wars is its own thing. 
but it basically it really pushed the boundaries on both of those fronts. And as a creator, you have to respect it. You have to respect just coming out the box saying, this is my vision for something. I want to push forward and make this happen. I have these references. I have these angles. And I think we can do this large epic drama. I think we can do this and we're going to do it. I'm going to make it happen. Shout out to Lucas for making all pushing all that through. He got a lot of backing, had some friends with him. But if you go back and search the history, search the way the original film was made and subsequently the original three films were made, you'll find a lot of creative entrepreneurship, a lot of creative drive, a lot of creative artistry pushing through and making that film happen. A lot of you don't know, there was an outline for this whole saga, a general outline, and a lot of it was written up, but he could only... Lucas could only secure the rights to do the one. Only secure the... He only knew he was going to be able to do the one film, A New Hope. And that was... And with that knowledge, you know what? I can only get one film out. Where should this story start? And that's a... That's actually a problem for a lot of creators when they have these ideas. It's, I have this huge scope of ideas. Where do I start with it? Where does my beginning and end... Where do I put a chapter points on and say this is the story I want to tell the part of the story the segment of the story the segment of the saga I should say which story can I pull out of this entire saga that's going to represent what the whole thing is all about it's going to set the tone for everything else because even if in his mind Star Wars had so many other things going on there had to be something that you that he held on to or that the people could latch on to as their core bit of the story. And this is very important when you're coming to the audience for the very first time. You're coming to the stage and you're saying, here's my entry into this landscape. Here's what I'm saying. I don't know how a lot of manga does it. Usually the manga starts with a singular character and not such a wide and expansive world, but that's what happened with Star Wars. We got a large world, but we were also able to focus on one character's drama and that's very easy for movie audiences to pick up on that one character that one little story if you try to bring too much into it then things get convoluted and you can't really do the big world like that marvel is another similar thing but marvel is completely different beast because it has so many different characters to pick from in this whole big universe that isn't really connected, but it's connected by everyone's love for comic books. If the comic books weren't around and people weren't making those connections, the fans weren't making those connections for Marvel, it wouldn't have succeeded like it does. Same thing with DC, any of the comic book league, any of the comic book franchises. You only have one character in Star Wars that you're going to try to start from. So that was hard to do for Lucas, but Nevertheless, he pulled it off. And after that original success, then all these comic books and then all these side stories and then all these extended universe novels and mini novels and graphic novels, all these other stories started to come to light. And they're still going on. Rise of the Old, Rise of the Old Republic, the game, expanded the world, expanded the story. You had the High Republic even coming out and then stories afterwards about... And which has been changed 
a lot since since the 80s and 90s. <clears throat> but a lot of that backstory was starting to get built out. Very intelligent way of laying out the landscape, very forward looking. And this is a kind of creative push and a kind of creative vision that you need to hold on to if you really want to make a lasting mark where what you're doing has a personality, it has a vibe, it has a zone, it has a mold that you set up and people can live from, people can work from, people can develop from, and people gain a lot of things from when they consume it as a product. So if you got any thoughts on Star Wars, definitely let me know. So let's take a look at some of that creative vision. I'm just going to go over some parts of it that really stuck out to me. First of all, when I saw Star Wars as a kid, I believe, I be if I remember correctly, I was taken to see Empire Strikes Back first. And then I ended up seeing Star Wars on video cassette later. I think that's how it happened. Because I was very young and I remember, I can't remember which one I saw first, actually. I was so young. I didn't, I just remember driving to the theater. We had this theater in Tallahassee, Florida. Oh my gosh, I forgot the name of the theater. I believe it's gone. It's I think it's gone now. But it was a theater at Capitol Cinemas. There it goes. Wow, I remember that. It was at the bottom of this hill. And the thing is, you would drive down Monroe Street. And at the top of the hill is where you would start to make your way off. It's like not an off-ramp, but you would make your way off the main road down this winding switchback type of canyon hill. And you would see the theater at the bottom of the hill in this huge parking lot. Normally, you would drive and then you'd pull into the little off-ramp and you'd go back and forth one, two, three times three times down this long winding hill and then you arrive in the parking lot and at the very top of the at the very top of the switchback that's what they call the going back and forth down a hill at the very top of it you could see all the way down the winding road and you could see the theater the cinemas down in the at the bottom of the little valley the bottom of the hill and it was always sparse and then you see this big brown building in the back and everybody would park and go enjoy the movie this day, I remember it was me, my dad, my brother. I don't think my, any of my sister might have been with me. I can't remember. As I said, I was very young. But I remember hitting the top of that hill. And unlike any other time I had driven on that hill with my family, it was stopped. Traffic was stopped all the way up to the top. And it was just inching forward. And I was like, what in the world is this? How could there be so much traffic? I'd never seen this one. I was so hyped. There was so much hype. I didn't, I wasn't like upset about being in line or anything. I, I think I had to have seen Star Wars on video cassette first because I was hyped for Empire Strikes Back. I don't know if I was hyped with the commercials or hyped from my brothers and my cousins who had watched, who, who remembered Star Wars, but they, I was hyped on it, so I think I may have seen Star Wars beforehand. Anyway, but not in the theater. Empire Strikes Back was definitely my first theater outing. And I remember 
getting in line and everybody being so hyped. And this is my first experience with a really long theater line. So we were in line. Everyone's talking Star Wars. I was hyped about it. And I can't tell you exactly what happened. As I said, I was just a young kid. But my God, because of that one movie, I remember the smell of the theater, happy people in line, families, the buzz about the movie, the spectacle. And this was before we were in the theater, before we even sat down. Everybody was just buzzing about this movie. And this was pre-internet. So there was, we're not talking on message boards, looking at trailers, picking them apart. We're not talking about going on Fandango and buying your tickets and getting your assigned seats. We're not talking about getting the critics reviews on Rotten Tomatoes and comparing them with audience reviews. This was just a bunch of hype fans, a bunch of hype people going to see this movie, Star Wars. And we all piled in. We all piled in that theater. I remember it just being packed. You could smell the popcorn. You could smell the hot dogs. I'd like to get nachos when I went to this theater. I remember I would always get nachos and I didn't like spicy food, but I always ate the nachos with the jalapenos. And I had the, I had the, the big cup of Sprite. It's, that was my thing. That's what was my jam. That's what I love. Y'all can have popcorn if you want. I had the nachos with the jalapenos and Sprite. It was great. Such a great childhood memory. Tired theater, packed full of people. And I want to say my mom was there too, but I can't remember. Sometimes my mom would, she'd like to take a break and would let us go to the movies and she would just take a break at home, just chilling out. I think we did that a lot. My mom, she didn't always like going to the movies, but, and she wanted that break, so she would do that. But nevertheless, a great family event. There were at least four of us there, I remember. And man, let me tell you, when you're in a theater, and you hear that silence, that stark silence, when the previews stop, screen is dark, and those soft Star Wars blue letters come up. A long time ago, in a galaxy far away. And then you get that ellipsis, four dots. You get that pause, goes away, fanfare comes in. Man, people lost their minds, dog. People just lost it. People didn't know what to do. Everybody was cheering and screaming. It was phenomenal. And I hold on to that memory hard, hardcore. And that was my first real strong memory of Star Wars. And aside from that, I remember the shirts the merchandising, the comics, and not the comics so much, the toys. Those all came along too. But that first introduction to Star Wars like that really set the tone. And now I want to look back and go over some of those parts that really stuck out to me as a creator and that I think helped pave my mind or pave the road for the way I think today about a lot of creativity. First, as I mentioned, was that sound. You didn't really get a lot of awesome sound like that in such an epic way in a lot of films. There were a lot of filmy type of 
operatic sounds. My mother was into opera. She was a professor of voice at Florida A&M University. So I was around the band. I was around the orchestra and operatic play type of settings for a while now. And hearing something that bold and strong in a film, in a theater, you really didn't get too much of that at the time. And nothing was well constructed and as well matched to the movie as that, at least for me as a kid. Now, I think when when something is good, it's fine on its own. When something is good, it's okay, yes, that was very quality. But when it all wraps up together in this one product, I think when each of those parts can shine like that, it really makes it so much that much stronger. Ironically, another thing that I remember was Indiana Jones having a very strong presence because of that score. And there, once again, Lucasfilm. So it really got me thinking about the audio in that respect. Transformers did a pretty good job. Some other films I remember from that time. I don't know, that, those, but that stuck out to me, that Skywalker sound. And we were just now, we were in one of the early theaters that had a really nice sound system at the time. And I remember, wow, this is, the sound is hidden. This is the first time we were hearing like that little THX crescendo, of that whole thing. That was just starting to be a thing at some point, but not sure if it was, definitely not sure if it was in Star Wars back then or Empire Strikes Back, but that was that era when all of that was starting to become a thing and sound was really starting to get pushed. And this is me at the forefront at the dawn of this new audio experience. And Star Wars made it happen for me. I was like, this, this is important stuff. This is really making a mark on people. I didn't consciously understand it as such at the time. I just thought, this is badass. So definitely that sound. And if you think back to, and you can still see people who react to Star Wars today, they'll compliment the sound. They're like, wow, the sound's really good. The audio is what it's supposed to be. It's very iconic. Let's see. Let's just talk about some different things. There's Vader, his breathing. It's just iconic. You could always go around and people know what you're talking about. People get the reference. It's just that strong. To all these, after all these years, it's just that strong. The sound of lightsabers. That classic sound. And it's persisted all through time. And when someone makes a sound that sounds like that, they try to avoid sounding like that because they're like, oh yeah, you sound like a, you sound like a lightsaber. What are you, what are you trying to do? People can't even make their own sounds now because they sound like something that Skywalker sound made. There was, what else? Of course, the screaming sounds of the starships, the X-Wings, the TIE Fighters. TIE Fighters had a very specific sound. The X-Wings and the Destroyers all had their sounds. So it was just such a rich audio landscape that you had to really appreciate it for what it was. You're like, man, this is kicking, this is hitting. And I could go on about that. There were, the, oh, the sounds of the, the monsters and the creatures involved. It was just an amazing level of personality that I continued with. So Skywalker Sound, man, props to them. If you haven't really listened to Star Wars on a nice system, you're missing out. You should definitely go back and try it out on a nice system. It holds up even today, and that epic feel is still there. 
Also, there was the beginnings of what became industrial light and magic, the visuals that were created from Star Wars. A lot of that was custom made to to give Star Wars its look, its visual quality, its te- the technologies that they pushed forward with displaying things in space and the visuals of not just lightsabers, blending in the real effects with the computer-generated effects, the visuals that came out of a lot of work was done in conjunction with, I believe a lot of it was done in conjunction with Jim Henson and the uh, the puppeteering that they did there in order to make Jabba the Hutt, in order to make all the characters from the can- cantina and so forth. I think there was a lot of collaborative work done there. Have to, I'd have to go back and refresh myself on who created what, but there was a lot of good work there. Industrial Light and Magic came out of all those efforts, and now they're one of the premier image visualization houses out there. And you can't tell me that down to the logo, to the visuals of lightsabers, to the look of stormtroopers, to TIE fighters, Darth Vader himself, these iconic figures. So the world, the characters, just the backdrops, everything has a certain look to it. Blew my mind at the time. So this is, and this is all part of the creative vision, right? And the plot, the characters, it's very... I don't want to say simple, but very classic storytelling. You think about stuff like old Flash Gordon, old war movies. It's definitely based around the hero's journey. And I'm always willing to talk about that. A lot of people get it confused how it's supposed to work and what it means and what it's what the whole idea behind it was. I won't get into that here, but it's a very classic story told in a very classic way with a very unique wrapping and a very unique plotting. I don't want to say plotting. I want to say mapping. I want to say dot connecting because plot refers to the actual plot. But it was set up in such a way that it was very intentional and self-rhythmic. If that, if you want to think about that. Star Wars rhymes with itself is what I'm getting at. There's a lot of repeated patterns that refer you back, refer Star Wars back to itself, thereby building on top of the lore, but not done in such a way where it becomes boring or repetitive. It just hammers the point home. It makes you feel comfortable in this Star Wars universe. And of course, there was merchandising as a part of this vision. In order to get the film funded, Lucas merchandised a lot of what he was doing and made this big, awesome extravaganza he and part of the funding deal was that it's like, hey, listen, if I can get, I'll take less of the money if I can get some, if I can get more royalties from the toys, the merchandising, the shirts, the the kits, and whatever else, right? The licensing. And so they were like, yeah, sure, we can do that. Remember, at this time, toy merchandising wasn't as much of a thing. Star Wars set the pace for this. You may have gotten one or two runoff shirts. You may have gotten a couple toys. But for the most part, these things were separate. People ran and got a toy and went about their business. There was no grand movie tie-in. There was no grand TV show connection. There especially wasn't like this launch where a movie launched and a toy line launched at the same time. And people talked about it and collected and traded. It wasn't like that. They were largely separate until Star Wars came around and really made it a really made it a thing for Hollywood to do to, or 
the entertainment industry to do. So you had this this whole idea of for Lucas, as far as he's concerned, you had this whole idea of let me also push these toys and let me get some back end on that. And I'll get my money back in toys and merchandising. Kenner Toy Company and the Hollywood suits were like, sure, we'll go with that. This is how we'll do it. We'll run it that way. We'll get you a lot back end merchandising. So what ended up happening is you got a lot of these side characters and background characters that were didn't have full stories fleshed out, but you saw them in the background, that they were interesting, and then you'd go to your Toys R Us, you'd go to your KB Toys, you'd go to your Kmart toy section, and you'd see, hey, here's this toy. Hey, I saw that guy in the background of the movie. I thought he was really interesting. Oh, crap, he has a name. There's the Wee K, there's Bosk, the bounty hunter. There's IG-88. You're like, who are these characters? This is crazy. You just hadn't seen anything like that before. Things were connecting to the movie that were connecting to the toys. So you went and bought the toys. Someone say, hey, what's that toy? And you got, hey, I got this character from the movie. And it was beginning to build up this, this cycle where people would talk about it. They'd market it. Once again, a lot of the stuff isn't on the internet. So you'd have to see people on the playground. You'd have to see people in comic book shops. And you'd start realizing that this is a bigger thing than just a movie. It was spreading, right? People would have collections. They'd have, there were only a couple back then. It was like G.I. Joe, Transformers, Star Wars, to a lesser extent, Thundercats. But you'd have these big collections and you'd go to someone's house and you'd start seeing, and not even go to someone's house, but you'd read a magazine and you'd hear about somebody with the Star Wars collection. They'd have all of their figures lined up on a wall. I don't know how much of a thing this was. People collected things before, but it wasn't this commercialized toy movie book venture. This was crazy. It was just like, man, if you hadn't collected this, you didn't get that. And don't get me started with the mail-in offers, the special exclusive offers, that Boba Fett with the firing rocket. Like they didn't make too many of those because of, you know, dangers of poking people's eyes out or whatever. So they created this Boba Fett character, the one you got, and you had this Boba Fett character that everybody was scrambling to get. It was almost urban myth, right? That you had this character and some people will tell you, yeah, I had one. And other people would lie to you and say they had one. So it was this crazy era of toy merchandising that, that got people swept up into it. And what was interesting about the toys is in between the movies coming out, you had to ask yourself, what did people do in the meantime? Because right now we can speak over the internet. So between the time of the movies coming out, people would buy the toys, they'd buy the comic books, and they would watch these specials on TV about, hey, here's some behind the scenes of Star Wars. A lot of your DVD extras that you see or the Blu-ray extras behind the scenes, a lot of that stuff would get shown on TV after the movie came out. So the movie would come out, the toys in the movie would come out, the merchandising would come out, Everybody would get excited about it. Then it would hit home video. Then when home video hit, everybody would once again get into the vibe of it, talk about it, watch it at home, have watch parties with their friends, buy toys. Again, you'd have TV specials coming out. After the home video market, you'd have television specials coming out. And then at some point, they may play it on TV as a special airing, maybe a one-time thing on a Friday or Saturday night. 
or a Tuesday night, people would sit down and all watch Star Wars all at the same time because it's not like you had streaming where you could watch it when you wanted to. So this whole thing. And by the time that wave was dying down, they would start prepping you for the next movie. They're like, hey, listen, this other movie's coming out. We have Empire Strikes Back. We have Return of the Jedi coming out. There was this whole, it was a whole success. Speaking of the idea, the next idea after merchandising was the trilogy. This whole idea that you got three movies that were all connected, it wasn't so much of a thing back then. You may have had some underground art house movies that were loosely connected. You may have had a couple sequels that were that were connected, but they felt like, oh, well, that movie succeeded. Let's do it again. And let's have another character. Okay, let's have these characters do the same thing in on the beach or let's have them do it somewhere else. Or maybe you got like a James Bond where they weren't really sequels. They were just more movies in that same vein. But a trilogy where you're like, there's going to be episodes four, five, and six. What's this all about? Crazy time. But that's enough of the history of that. I guess I'm saying that to say this whole creative thing, there was there were so many different creative individual elements of it that made sense back then. I wonder what the creative thing is going to be that blows people's minds in the future. And maybe it'll come from Star Wars. Maybe it'll come from something else. Maybe people won't even see it as groundbreaking until it is groundbreaking. I think the TV shows, the streaming shows on Disney Plus may have tried to start into that a little bit, but I think Marvel may have actually overtaken them in that, that regard, but we'll get to that later. And yeah, the characters. So after the merchandise, you got this trilogy, three-part story, crazy, everybody's bl mind is blown. And then you've got the character. You've got this incredible array of opposing characters, right? That always, and we're talking about the mirroring the rhythm of Star Wars, how it rhymes with itself, how it, there's not just, and people say, oh, it's too simple. There's a black and a white, a good guy and a bad guy. It does a lot of different interplay with, with how you look at things. There's a lot of, it's an extremely complex layer of things, right? And you may not see it as such because it seems so simple, but it's finely tuned for something to be this basic, this simple, and I really don't want to use the word simple. I don't want to use basic. I don't want to use the word fundamental, but it's classic. That's one of the best ways I can put it. It's very classic and very sophisticated, how it's built. Let me put one in you that you don't know. Think about Star Wars. Luke is supposed to be the everybody person, just a basic individual, and young idealistic, trying to get things done. And a version of him in the future is the older, dark, covered up, mechanized, can't breathe, stodgy villain. So these are two opposing forces, the young and the new, the old and the crusty. And that's one variation of you got the old and the crusty. Now within the old and the crusty, You've got two very different characters. You've got Darth Vader, you've got Yoda. And you've got these two, once you compare those two, you're like, one is short, alien, funky. The other one is old, tall, dark, 
robotic. Yoda's very, he's a living character. He's always about the simple colored cloths and the wooden cane. Darth Vader, he props himself up with the mechanized system. He's got a, a freaking beat machine in his chest. So we've got these two opposing opposing looks. And that that type of comparison continues throughout Star Wars. It's a very, it's a very interesting study. And I may have to actually chart it out one day if anybody cares enough, but it's a very interesting study. Then take another look. You've got the Wookiees, Chewbacca, right? Another look up, you've got Chewbacca and the Ewoks. Chewbacca is a Wookiee, and the opposite of them is Ewok, Wookiee. The terms are flipped there, right? Ewok, Wookiee. You've got short and cuddly, tall and monstrous, tall and beastly. But they're both Earth-type characters. But they represent different factions, different sides of each other. One uses technological weapons. The other uses very Earth-like weapons. Incredible stuff. This, these relations, right? The droids. In opposition to these two living, these living characters, you've got the droid characters. So you've also got C-3PO and R2-D2. Their names sound more robotic, obviously, because they're droid names. They're numerical. IG-88, R2-D4, and all these other characters. But you've got the tall, shiny, golden one that talks, and then the short rotund, rolling one that just makes beeps and boops. It's these comparisons that our minds are bifurcated. We're used to looking at things in terms of Sith are just very absolute, black, white, left, up, down, north, south. And a lot of Star Wars is based on these two pairings, these opposites, and how they intertwine and work together. You've got different planetary systems. When you look at a system of a planet of death, not death. You've got a planet of desolation in, in Tatooine. And you have another planet of life in when you look at Dagobah. So you've got a planet of desolation, a planet of life. And these are two things they jump back between. One's very desolate drive, one's very dank and musty. And they both have a purpose in the universe. Then you have something like Coruscant, that's a complete city. And then it's high tech. It's a city. You can compare that against something like, jeez, uh, I shouldn't have said Coruscant. You can compare that also with Tatooine, where you've got something with barely nobody in it, and then a planet with too many people in it. You've got Mustafar, a lava planet, and you compare that with Hoth, the ice planet. So you have all these different ways of comparing and contrasting. The Jedi, there were hundreds of them. The Sith only wanted to have two. It's just these contrasts and comparisons that you can always make in Star Wars. And I think a lot of that is what kept the original trilogy. I say original trilogy because it started to get more confusing later on. We'll get to that later. Especially after Lucas left. A lot of these vibes weren't held on to as strongly. And I think that's one of the mistakes they made. In fact, I should, I can... I'm already 43 minutes in, so let me wrap this up quickly. But that was the vision there. I could talk about that for hours on end, and I have. As I said, I ran a podcast called Posquatch, and on this, shout out to those guys again. Anyway, let me drop my rankings here. I know a lot of people have been waiting on the ranking. I want to go ahead and make a an assertion about 
what I think are the top 11 Star Wars movies ranked. Do not take this terribly seriously. You can fight me in the comments. I may have to come back and respond to some of your comments if you don't like it. In fact, I may do a whole posting, but here's my top 11. And I'm sorry if I hurt feelings with this one. These rankings may change next Tuesday, but this is how it's going to be. At number one, coming in, my favorite Star Wars movie of all time. And I'm going to go from the best to the worst. I shouldn't say worst because Star Wars is like pizza to me. It's all good. It's all flavorful. It's all delicious. It's all good. I may get in the comments and piss people off, but I'm not that upset. I don't want the great fan base wars to be reignited. Uh, I think we can all enjoy Star Wars in our own way. But I will go from best to not the best. Number one, The Return of the Jedi. I don't know what it is about that one. I think that Luke finally figuring out what the hell is going on and not embracing his dark side, but becoming fully aware of what's going on. There were a lot of key little elements in there. Him wearing all black, the way he had to fight against the temptations of the dark side, the way he had to overcome his his failings. I think they were all encapsulated very well in that movie. And if you didn't catch it in the beginning when he's wearing all black, this was part of Lucas's original story that things took a darker turn for Luke as he gained power. And there was a struggle for him to not become like Darth Vader or not take Darth Vader's place, even though the Sith were gone. So there were at the very beginning of Return of the Jedi, if you remember, he's in all black, very calm, very confident, but not very, not a very pleasant force. First thing he does is puts on a force choke to two Gamorrean guards, pig guards. And even as a kid, I remember I was like, he did the little hand motion that Darth Vader does. And they started choking those dudes just with the force. That's something the Sith do. And it's not really a light side power. So you start seeing him playing with the dark side right off the bat. And that's what made the whole saga interesting to me because you had this backdrop, this foreshadowing of man. Uh, they warned us about this. Are we in a cycle? Are we stuck? So it went to, that was a problem. And it's a little under... It's a little simple way to tell a lot of story without telling a lot of story. It showed instead of telling. Usually in visual movies like this, you can say a lot by doing and showing just a little. And you should do that in a visual medium. And even a literary medium. But the point is, you're expressing what happens in the world, not telling somebody in text like, hey, listen, he's like this, not a blah, blah, blah. It's expressed in the story, like he's a bad, he's got these tendencies and it says a lot more just by that little action. Anyway, so Return of the Jedi really hit for me. At the very end of it, people you know, people miss a lot of what was going on, but relying on your friends, bringing family together, your spirituality never really goes away. You can be reborn and still be saved at the very end. It's very, it touches on a lot of different angles. 
and it really just stuck with me. So even after watching them all as a kid, seeing Empire Strikes Back, I think Return of the Jedi really hit strongest for me just because of the way it transformed. Next up, number two, Empire Strikes Back. I think this was the first movie I had seen that really left me on a cliffhanger like that. As I said, it still had the vibes as a kid being the first one I remember in the theater. Return Empire Strikes Back just hit me so hard with the ending and promising of the next movie. The revelation in there that was one of the best movie twists in history. People weren't looking for it. People didn't see it coming. Minds were blown. And it's amazingly still subdued as a secret to people who aren't in the Star Wars universe. So if you watch Star Wars for the first time, you catch these twists. Very fascinating stuff. Check out some first-time reactions of Empire Strikes Back who had never seen it, especially people who didn't know about the twist. Even if they've heard the phrase, it still hits them. Really good stuff. So that was number two. Number three, A New Hope. So yeah, the first trilogy gets my thumbs up. That was definitely the thing that made it happen. A New Hope, as I said, set the stage. If you go back and watch that movie, it's pretty amazing because the main character doesn't show up in the film for the first several minutes. It's quite a, it's as far as movies are concerned, it's quite a long time before the star actually makes his way into the movie, which is phenomenal. Off the bat, usually with movies, they try to say, okay, here's the character, follow the character, follow the character. But they did such a good job in world building that they set up the villain, they set up the conflict, they set up this political intrigue, they set up the princess and this whole idea of a rebellion. They set up this whole world well before you get to Luke, which is very important, very key, and just interesting. And I don't know how many movies have done it like that. It's, it's hard to pull off because you want to get in and care about a character. And this movie didn't put the character right up front. So there's a lot of good things to be said about New Hope. Ended up at my number three. Now we're getting to the interesting ones. Where is he going to go from here? <laughs> Where is he going to go from here? At number four, my top Star Wars movies of all time. Revenge of the Sith. I, this movie, I really rock with it. There's so much tension you're getting with Anakin and Obi-Wan representing two changing forces where you had this whole idea of Jedi and the Jedi Order. And it gets, it's got to a point where it starts pulling apart. The Sith drove a wedge between them. And one of the scenes that really shocked me was when you saw them pull out their lightsabers on each other for the first time, and it was two blue lightsabers going up against each other. That blew my mind. I was like, no, they're two blue lightsabers. You're both friends. You're both family. Stop fighting. It was, it hit me in the feels, man. Seeing the genesis of this new era going into the next segment of Star Wars, just watching that all play out. It's like, how can you tell, how well of a story can you tell when you already know where it's going? I think this played out very strong. I really enjoyed Padme's story leading up to Anakin's emotions being out of control 
leading into conflict, leading into the building of the empire. I was really big on the political stuff, so I really liked that. So Revenge of the Sith comes in at number four for me. Number five, The Phantom Menace. Yes, The Phantom Menace. I People are probably starting to scratch their heads. Hey, where's this other film? I don't believe you put The Phantom Menace up this high. I put The Phantom Menace up this high. I liked what they were doing. I uh, thought it built up a... I thought it built up the world from a familiar, yet a good point. There was a lot of politics involved. I actually, you're talking about this big world, this empire. I tend not to look at these movies individually. I think this is why it's up so high. I tend to look at them as a large spanning story, and this is going to explain some of my choices to you. But with this large, expansive universe this large world that we that Star Wars built, there was a certain setting that A New Hope was able to achieve. And I think you needed to go back to something very simple because the story is basically, the story just basically breaks down to, let's find out who Anakin is, have a pod race, and have a fight with the Sith. But it seems boring to a lot of people, especially the first half of it, because there's so much they have to set with expectations and starting from a certain early point. But I think it did it well. And if you're really into the world building, I think it did the same kind of that A New Hope did, but it did it for the entire saga. So when you're looking at all this, you're talking about the Trade Federation, you're talking about blockades, you're talking about outer rim systems, you're talking about boring Senate fights and how all this happened. I still think it was very genius in terms of the way that it actually played out and played and set up the world. Uh, one of the things that it also did was set up the idea of this phantom menace, being something being a problem that you don't see. Titles are very interesting. What exactly was the phantom menace to you? Think about this. When you think about the Phantom Menace, what does that mean to you? It's like, oh, Anakin was a, we didn't see him coming. He was the, he was Darth Vader. That was the Phantom Menace. Okay. That's one way of looking at it. And in fact, if you remember the movie posters, it, it totally blew my mind. A lot of people who were so removed from Star Wars lore, when they saw the Phantom Menace posters, they saw the little picture of Anakin standing in front of a rock and the shadow on the rock was in the shape of Darth Vader. And people still weren't sure that Anakin was going to end up turning into Darth Vader. Very clever way of building a movie for multiple audiences. But anyway, The Phantom Menace wasn't just Anakin being turning into Darth Vader. You also had to look at Palpatine, Emperor Palpatine. That was the menace that's behind the entire, much of the entire saga, right? Or what if it's, you can also think of The Phantom Menace, the title, as there's, there are cracks in the seams. There are cracks in the foundation. There are things within people that are growing problems that we need to look at. And it's a phantom menace. If you look at Darth Maul, they were like, who is this guy? Who are these Sith? Why are they hiding in the dark? You know, there's something that we don't see. And they, they always talk about how the vision, the future is cloudy. Things are cloudy with the Sith. And they were looking at the Sith as being the problem when the real menace was their hubris, their pride, their ability to think that they knew everything. And 
I think a lot of that was really set forth in the movie The Phantom Menace. So a theme that plays its way all the way through Star Wars. In fact, we just talked about The Last Jedi, The Return of the Jedi. If you look at what Luke was, this idea of a Phantom Menace is still going on. Is Luke going to become a problem? We've got evils within us. Very awesome stuff. And that title is freaking brilliant. And it really touches on a cornerstone of what Star Wars is all about. So Rogue One jumps in as my sixth favorite movie. Not too much to say about this one. It was a great lead in to. It was a great lead into A New Hope. Once again, it's like, how, how do you have a story that tells a story that you basically already know? This was just a reiteration of a tale. You didn't need anything new. You just needed something to fill in the blanks, fill in the gaps. Nothing groundbreaking here, but you were able to tell a story that expressed how important all of the movies were at that time. And if you think about it, you've got three movies before, three movies after Rogue One in terms of timeline. And this was a pivoting point. But any pivot point, there's a lot of change. There was a death, destruction. And the way it built up was just... It was sold as such. It was sold as a regular movie, but a lot of people weren't prepared for all of the death that would happen in that movie. And in fact, it ends with the idea of a death star. So a major portion of this movie was just about loss. And after loss, what comes after that? A new hope. So the cycles never end. You lose. Things are built on top of that. You have a new hope. So I really liked this film. It set up, it filled in a lot of holes in the lore. You got to see some remnants of Jedi temples that fill out a little more of that stuff that we didn't get in the prequels. Showed you how it was treated in the, in the original trilogy. So just a very solid film to me. It stands on its own and was able to actually separate a little bit from the Star Wars lore. They played a little differently with the side story idea. And I think that was worked out very well as a side story. We got to see titles done a little differently. We got to see characters expressed a little differently in terms of people outside of the main Jedi, Sith. People, when they think of Star Wars, they only think of Jedi and Sith. This movie got them out of that binary situation a little more. Worked out very well for me. And it comes in at number seven. Number seven, Attack of the Clones. Yes, I just did it by saying Attack of the Clones. I know I left out a lot of your favorites. Sad but true. Attack of the Clones, I really liked. And a lot of people clown it for certain scenes. The love story was a little awkward here and there. But it did a job to me. And it told a good story. It had a, people miss out on the, the fight scene between Jango Fett and... Obi-Wan Kenobi. A lot of people forget that. You got to see Dooku do his thing. How you got to see the infiltration. So more political intrigue. I think the political stuff really slowed down a lot of the way the story was told. But I enjoyed it. As I said, with the Phantom Menace, it set the tone for a larger understanding. And it's still a necessary film for me. I originally thought it was just a filler between one and three. 
But over time, I've become, I started to appreciate it on its own. And as I said, the more I see this stuff, the more I started appreciating it all as a whole, a big arcing saga. So that was it. And number eight. I know I'm probably going to get some hate for these last three, last four. Next one up, Solo. I actually like Solo. Solo, I think this was another side story. thought it was a very fun little adventure that just went on, did its thing. You... And it filled out the world a little more. Some parts of it were, I don't want to say corny, but you started to see, you started to see less story being told and you started to see a little more fluff being inserted in the story. You started seeing a little more people trying to say something instead of just presenting a story that happens to evoke a thought or have a story that evokes an idea. So instead of that, you got a little more of stuff being on the nose, stuff being a little more, hey guys, we're trying to tell you something. And you got a little more of that coming through. I tend not to like that in my stories. I tend for, I tend to like the story being the ultimate push and anything else that just happens to come up, comes up and it doesn't detract. I think there were some detracting moments in the story as they were telling it. But Really expanding on the smuggler intrigue, the whole idea of the gangsters and that faction of Star Wars. I think there's a lot to develop there. And we ended up seeing more of that in in Andor to a certain extent. But I really liked it. I'm going to wrap this up in a bit. We already hit the hour mark, so I don't want to take too long on these. But this is Star Wars. We can talk about this all the time. So after Solo at number nine, I am so going to get hate for this. At number nine, we have The Rise of Skywalker. I know. Skywalker, The Rise of Skywalker was a mess. A lot of problems. A lot of craziness going on. I enjoyed it, man. As I said, I enjoy all Star Wars, but The Rise of Skywalker actually put a lot of things to rest for me. It did its job clumsily in a lot of situations, awkwardly in others, but... With the rise of Skywalker, I think it did a decent job of bringing the story all together and wrapping up a certain chapter of what was jumbled jumbled beforehand. Jumbled. I'm talking about the last two, which I was actually upset about for quite a while. But I no longer am upset about the last two, but I thought it did a decent job of bringing stuff together. Yes, it was a mess. Yes, it was convoluted. It bounced from different place to different place. There was stuff shoehorned in. There was retconning, which I... I have a problem with some, a mistake in one movie and then another movie goes and overwrites that. I think that's problematic, but it brought stuff back. And if you really watch this on a nice system, as opposed to your laptop or your phone or whatever, if you really watch The Last Jedi... It's not less that a turn of the rise of Skywalker. I thought it was very visually. It just really did a lot of stuff that was nice visually. It's hard to, unless you saw the scene with all of the different starships flying in, not just like Return of the Jedi ended with a lot of people coming together to fight the Empire. This really brought a lot of people together to fight. Say, no, we're now a new 
galactic force. We're all coming together now. So there was that whole vibe. Very important to to see that played out for me in terms of the world being built out. The character of Rey, she got her closing, the idea of Skywalkers and that whole family line and saga and Palpatine, that whole thing. It was a way to wrap it all together. thought it was competent. Not my worst. Here's where we get interesting. So yes, the last two. At next to last, and I know this is just going to tear a lot of people's hearts out, The Last Jedi. Beautiful film visually. Shout out to Ryan Johnson. Very creative film. Tried a lot of interesting things. This is what creators should do, right? But I think Ryan Johnson did what he did at the expense of the rest of the saga. Threw away what... Kind of threw away what had been set up in all the films before it in a lot of senses to me started to veer off the path and people would complain that hey why did you do this or how dare you change that and that other people would say hey you needed to change how do you grow it's a look I understand that he grew and that it built on things and this whole idea of, yes, the Force isn't relegated to just the Skywalkers. And I was thinking to myself, it never was. You saw the prequels. You saw, like, hundreds of Jedi. These all these people all weren't Skywalkers. What are you talking about? So I was confused by a lot of the reasons people gave me for such pushback. But I understand it. I understand that these points of view are valid. They just didn't match with my criteria. So in my criteria, I'm looking at the overall scale of things, and I think that it just felt a bit too jarring in how they played things out. What they did with Snoke, what they did with the idea of Jedi and Sith, and I even liked the Canto Bites. I, I thought that was pretty cool. Having the whole animals running, and some people thought it was a waste of time. Sure, but it worked for me. It played out. The, I thought a lot of the movie was a bit divergent, so having this one divergent scene in a divergent movie didn't matter so much to me. So Canto Bite was fine by me, that whole adventure. As I said, I still liked it, still enjoy it. Did some weird things in there that I would have pushed back against, but it worked for me. I just didn't feel that it needed to divert from overall story and especially the movie before it and this is where I this is why it ends up where it is because the movie before it comes in at number 11 The Force Awakens I told somebody The Force Awakens was my least favorite of the Star Wars movies and they about lost their minds the first thing they said was you don't like Rey and I think I was being attacked as I said it was the great fan base wars so episode 7 the Force Awakens, it was basically a love letter to Star Wars. It was like, hey, we're Star Wars. We're going to bring back these old guys. We're going to have it play out in a certain way. It was competent, but I thought it was a bit uninspiring. Also, I didn't like the way they played Finn. And this was this goes back into other issues, but it was the first time I had seen false ad what I call false advertising from Star Wars when you had 
your boy holding up your boy Finn holding up a lightsaber. The idea for an incredibly rich story, a stormtrooper goes rogue and becomes a force for good. They have him holding a lightsaber and he ends up getting laid out by a lightsaber by somebody else. Never had his comeuppance. And a lot of this was set up in The Force Awakens. So if you actually ask me, I do go back and forth between The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi as my least favorite. But I fault The Force Awakens for being not as exciting and a little dry. I get what it was trying to do, but The Last Jedi was far more expressive, far more entertaining, and I I will take that over being not that exciting. There was a lot of setup involved. Hey, we have this, for an inexplicable reason, a shiny stormtrooper that's like the head of all stormtroopers. We have all these random things just showed up, and this is the J.J. Abrams way of storytelling, so it just didn't hit for me as being very exciting. It was just set up without being as strongly contained a story in itself. So that was why it ended up being where it was trying to reconnect to a lot of people, replayed a lot of tropes. And there was a whole bunch of, hey, here's I'm Harrison Ford, I'm back. And hey, this is happening again. Or hey, how's it going? And there was a, just a bunch of hey, we're back. This is a love letter to Star Wars. I don't want a love letter. Continue the story. Let's keep it pushing. But I understand that those types of movies are very endearing to a lot of people, and a lot of people really enjoyed it. I didn't have a problem with Rey. Too much of a problem. I thought that the character could have been fleshed out a bit more. I thought we could have ended up with a little more of a... Let's see. An impetus for why one would get wrapped up and involved in all of this to have somebody completely devoid of any connection it just seemed lacking to me so that's it and i want to be able to put a character up and be able to say yes this person did this because of this and a lot of stuff that happened with ray seemed for me in terms of the way i'll the Star Wars had been told. It just seemed very just because. So that was my thing with The Force Awakens. As I said, none of these are bad movies to me. There's some corniness. There's some dry parts. There's parts that are overdone. As I said, I'm, I'm, I'm digging the political talk in The Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. So that what does that tell you? I'm the guy who was into that. So if you're into this for whatever reason, let me know. But that was my top 12, top 11, I'm sorry. And what do we have to look forward to? This is going to be a three-parter. So basically got the history, the top 11, and where we're going from here. My new hope for Star Wars. Listen, I should do a whole new podcast on this one and just breaks this up into three parts. Should I break this up into three parts? No, I'll continue with this. I'll just finish this up. Where we're going from here, all hope lies in building off of things like the the Mandalorian. I'm going to cut this one a bit short. I need to do some research. I need to flesh this out a little more, but I want to talk about where Star Wars can go from here. I do what's... Oh, by the way, 
highly recommended honorable mention goes to the Clone Wars animated series. It happens between episodes six, three, and four. Some it takes place somewhere in that overlap. I'm sorry, no, it takes place between episodes two and three. It starts to overlap in those stories. So it bridges between Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. The animated version, not the CG or the 3D animated. I'm talking about the cartoon drawn by animator Jindy Tartakovsky. He was the guy who was pushed behind that. So it's got a certain look and feel to it. It's incredibly short. Season one is only an hour long. Season two is also pretty short as well. Forgot how long that one lasts. But these are very quick little vignettes that you can just plow through. They're on Disney+. Plus. Refresh yourself on what happened in Attack of the Clones, the movie, and then watch Clone Wars. It's just Clone Wars animated. Then watch that. Then refresh yourself on what happened with Episode 3. You don't even have to watch the whole thing, Episode 3. Just see the beginning. And you'll see how all this stuff connects in a very interesting way. Really did a lot with a little. Highly recommended honorable mention. I don't know where to put that because it's not film per se. So I wouldn't rank that anywhere. But definitely worth watching. Especially if you're watching any of The Mandalorian, Rebels, Bad Batch, or anything like that. Definitely take a moment out to check out Clone Wars Animated. Alright, so now we've got all these other shows and where I think they can go from here. Right now, it's a mess over there at Lucasfilm, and I've actually checked out a little bit because what they've started to do is build what I call Easter egg storytelling, where they're trying to do a little bit of what Marvel does, and hey, here's an Easter egg. This is exciting because it references this crazy toy that you've never seen or, or this old animated film, and I'm like, yeah, I don't care about that. Give me that story. Give me that plot. Give me an extension of the entire Star Wars saga. Let me in on more of this big scale adventure. I think that the idea starts out good in all of these with the Mandalorian season one through three, Bad Batch, Rebels. But I think they, they fall into the trap of not getting to the point and not sticking to the world building, character building story. I think you start to get into a lot of other stuff where you're just creating episodes that, hey, let's tell this weird backstory of X, Y, and Z and have this funny thing happen and reference that. And it's sure, you can do world building and all that, but it can't come at the expense of telling a solid story. That's got to be in place. I need to care about these characters before you put them in a world. I need to understand how this world affects the overall plot. I need to understand why all of these things are coming together. I had almost lost hope until I saw Andor. And Andor was even too much for a lot of people. It was very slow, very plotting, but it was really good. You have to, you can't watch Andor off to the side and can't just be walking around the house with and or playing in the living room. You have to actually sit down, watch it, take it in. And it's a little hard for people to do that now with Star Wars. Star Wars is a little more easily digestible. Not that it, not that Andor should have been anything different, but I think that's an example of going hard in in one direction and they did it well. 
actually, I say that so the book of Boba Fett went hard in another direction where you're doing the Easter eggs, the fan service, the wouldn't it be cool if kind of storytelling. And I think that has a place, but you see what happens when it's too separated from the main story. And on Andor, I think we see the other end of that where when you're too far into the weeds of Star Wars, where you're too ingrained in how does one character fly from one location to another and get, really get some lean in television. I think it was just a bit, it was a bit too much for people's taste. If you've ever had a really highfalutin dinner or a really heavy seven course meal, you understand that sometimes those big dinner outings, those really serious dinner outings can be a little too much where it's okay. Cleanse my palate. I got to make sure I don't eat beforehand okay, I got to eat this before I eat that. I need to pair with just the right drink. You need, there's, it's so much work to enjoy something like Andor. Not that it doesn't pay off, but that was another extreme. So I think they need, they're still finding their footing after being separated from George Lucas. Did George Lucas have goofy ideas? Yes. Did he need to be reined in? Yes, probably. But I think we're starting to see what happens when you come far, go farther and farther from the, not source material, from the source idea, the creative genesis. And for any creator, if you've got something good, you need to really understand how to grow that thing and not try to cut off a chunk and just say, we're doing this over here. This is how I like to respect the nature of what was built. Respect the reasons that a lot of these things were constructed in the first place. As I said, Andor really blew my mind in terms of what was possible, even with the realization that it was probably a bit too much for people. As I said, it's like that seven course meal that you have to book days in advance, that you have to don't eat anything the day before, get your reservations, wear the right clothes, drive up some windy mountain hill, all this preparation, reading about the proper foods and blah, blah, blah. It's like sometimes you're just like, hey, man, can I get seconds on this? Can I get another plate of this? Can I, as I said, Star Wars is like pizza, a good pizza. And when you start to play with that formula, you start to you start getting into dangerous territory. At some point, you're like, what are you doing? Anyway, that's that. I do have faith in Star Wars. I will get back on Disney Plus at one point, at some point, end up, get through Bad Batch, the new season of Bad Batch. I will get through Mandalorian season three, which I haven't done yet. But for right now, I'm saying Star Wars is still good, still like pizza. It's a mess right now. I'm going to get back into it. Hope you all enjoyed that. And I'll probably make some reels from this because I got a lot of good information here that came up. But this is a creative powerhouse. Hope you all enjoyed it. Have a happy May the Sith. Take care. Hey, thanks for joining me on this podcast. You all make everything I do possible, and I really do appreciate it. 
So even if you've got me on social, please visit mrbinja.com and see what's happening and how deep the rabbit hole goes. All right, I'll see you next time. Peace.